Hey everyone, on today's episode, I, I interview my buddy Chris, and we talk all about his transition out of the military into civilian life and his new role with selling and what he's learning the most. Check it out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Contractor Growth Network. I'm Logan Schinholzer, and instead of being joined by Alex like normal, today I'm joined by Chris Livingston. So Chris, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? So the the backstory of Chris and who Chris is is I originally I met Chris in college. I'll tell you the whole backstory, but just kind of fast forward to today. He now works with me. He is a sales specialist. So in essence, he's kind of my first line of defense uh, whenever talking to a new future client. In essence, but I'll walk through what kind of what his role is. But that's why he's on the show. So. Here's the whole big picture of things is I want to talk about with Chris, just so you know where we're going with this story today is I want to talk about where he came from, his journey in the military, transitioning out of the military, and then what he's doing now. That sounds good, brother. All right. So here's the backstory. And Chris and I dispute on this one of how we met each other, but I was having a party at my house, sophomore year of college. And this was actually a house that about six months later I got evicted from. So it all kind of made sense. Um, but I remember we were having a, it was a black light party and I was hanging up black lights in the walls and this random kid came up and said, do you want me to help put holes in your wall? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. We got a party starting soon. So that was my original, uh, meeting point for Chris. And then we've become very close over the past, I guess at this point, 10 years. Yeah. It's been a decade now. So Chris, walk us through, I guess your, your just overall background and then, you know, you got through tech and then into the military. So can you kind of give us a 30,000-foot overview of who Chris is? I, after I left tech, uh, I've always had a sense of service to myself. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps. My granddad was in the Army. So it was just kind of natural for me to join the military after school. So after school, I decided to join the military. My situation was a little different. I originally had joined ROTC. Things didn't necessarily work out for me the way I wanted them to. Well, you, I mean, with that, you got screwed because you had like like a roommate that was smoking weed you didn't tell on him yeah so part part of uh our our code was we won't lie cheat or steal or tolerate those who do all right so i, I wasn't lying cheating or stealing but i guess i was tolerating one who was so i i didn't feel totally comfortable just like i guess in my my opinion ratting someone out i thought i just needed to like let the system take care of someone else and not necessarily get involved in it but unfortunately i got tangled in that so i had a really good rotc career was uh my top cadet for three out of the four years I was there. The transition wasn't too bad uh, for me. I was a little nervous when it happened, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So instead of commissioning into the Army, I decided to enlist instead. So when I enlisted, I joined the Special Operations community right away, and that was something that was absolutely amazing. So I went to uh, first spent some time in 3rd Ranger Battalion for a couple months. I uh, wanted to get out of the South. That was actually in Fort Benning. And then so I actually joined 2nd Ranger Battalion and spent about five years there. So I got about three good solid deployments there um, and some really good time all either in Afghanistan or, or in Erbil. And then um, transitioned out of the military, uh, wanted to be able to do, I, I guess the hardest thing for me in the military wise was the idea of starting a family, having some like real genuine connections and like, you know, I thought to myself, well, I need to transition from this if I want to be able to do this later on in my life. So I transitioned from the military and I had this huge sense of service still in my mind, so I decided to travel around the world a little bit, trying to encourage more Americans to travel. I'm super, super passionate about the idea of the more 
the more Americans travel specifically, I think that we would be a better place because I think we have to recognize that we're not just, you know, here by ourselves. Oftentimes we we really don't value, you know, other countries. At least I was not. So I wanted to see some of the world to be able to do that and encourage other people to travel as well. So I got done with that trip. That was an awesome experience. And then decided to move out to Charlotte. I uh, moved out here for a girlfriend that hopefully turns into a fiance sometime soon. But uh, it was a really good experience to move out here. Now, now I've kind of been, you know, out here in Charlotte. So everything's been going well. So go from Army Ranger, which is a very fast-paced, you know, disciplined position to what it's like now transitioning out. Because this is what, like a lot of contractors, they, they're they foreign military, right? They have done either they career it, they do their 20 years, or they're at least in it since they're pretty young through, you know, maybe like 10 years. So you're pretty much indoctrinated in that life. And for my time in it, I remember it's like, you could tell somebody to do something, but like, you know, even if they don't want to do it, they still kind of have to do it because like you'll get court-martialed and you're in trouble. But in the real world, if you tell somebody to do something, they're just like, well, I'm just going to quit. So it's a completely different style of leadership because you can't force somebody to do anything because they have to because, you know, you're above them in the chain of command. They'll just leave and now you're stuck. So you've been out for how long now? Uh, almost two years now. Okay. So you've been out for two years. What's that transition been like? So you went from there and you started working for uh, Qdoba. What was that like going from really disciplined military over to, you know, Qdoba where it's more corporate and and you can't yell at people to do shit. I think that there's a lot of things that translate, but there's a lot of things that don't. So in the military, leadership-wise, we all kind of have the same why. You know, we it's really, really easy to understand someone's why, so we're kind of pushing towards the same mission, and, and it's you learn a lot of leadership there, but I think your leadership style has to change a little bit when you get into the corporate world. The reason why is because I think you have to now understand other people's whys that are so different. Um, people, you know, their reason for going to work is take care of their family. They, they enjoy their job. Uh, you know, they're looking for money to be able to transition to something else. This is a stepping stone for them. So I think that really diving in and understanding people's why really helped me out. That was something that was kind of like ingrained in me to take care of your people. And it was not just a, a phrase where I was at. And, you know, Second Ranger Battalion, it, it was not just a phrase of, hey, you take care of your people, and that's just the idea of it. Like, if you didn't take care of your people, you got fired. And they had no problem at all putting you in another position if you weren't doing your job in that way. So for me, leadership has been something that I, I love to do, but I, I pride myself in feeling like I'm a good leader because I always hold on to that idea of taking care of your people. And that means, you know, doing the little things that sometimes are hard for you. That's, you know, that's counseling. That's, that is like, you know, development that is really thinking about the way, um, that is the best thing for the people in your group altogether. And I've experienced that people are a lot more willing to give me their best effort if they know at the end of the day that I'm willing to take care of them. Everybody does not like, like me every day. Not everybody, you know, thinks I'm this and that or whatever, every day, but there's never been a day in my mind where I feel like the people that have worked with me have not felt as if I'm going to take care of them. How do you deal with it where the why, I mean, like, because, you know, in the army and especially like in that unit that you're in, like, it's pretty close knit. Like everybody essentially has the same why, but you come out and you go to, you know, a Qdoba and you've got some 17 year old kid that their why is their parents are just making them get a job or they're just going to get a job, but they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, because they're 17, like they're, what is it? Like frontal cortex hasn't like 
developed until they're 25. So it's not even like they necessarily have a, a why, or maybe they do, but it's just like completely misaligned with your why. So how do you deal with that? Because you can't yell at them. Because I remember this was like a big thing with my dad where when he started his pool company um, like 25 years ago, he hired 3,000 teenage lifeguards. And teenagers are teenagers. So I remember he was telling me this story, and this is like, you know, I, I've heard this story many times, but with my uncle who was working for him at the time, my, you know, one of the, he was a manager and one of the lifeguards would show up late and he finally yelled at the lifeguard and like, it started, was like, yo, all right, I'm out. I quit. So then my uncle called my dad was like, Hey, well, this person quit. And my dad's like, great. Now you got to get your ass up in the chair and lifeguard because you, you let this kid go. So if you can't deal with it, that's fine. But if you fire a kid or yell at a kid, you're now going to have to do that kid's job. So figure out a way. So for you, I mean, you're dealing with teenage kids where if you yell at them back in second battalion, you know, maybe that flies. Okay. Yep. I got it. But now, you know, you yell at them, they quit and you're in trouble. And you know, and this is why I think a lot of contractors have a lot of problems retaining people because they treat them in a manner of like, well, I've got grit. You should have it too. And it may not always be that instance. Gotcha. So there's two parts to that question I think I want to address. Um, part number one is the idea of yelling in the military is something that we I don't know if we really examine all the time. So in most, you know, in all military branches, there's a, some sense of basic training. And so you're getting people, quote unquote, off the street and you're getting them all to align with one ideal in, you know, nine, ten weeks, however long your basic training is. So in my opinion, the best way to get people to from different backgrounds to get all on one accord in a very, very fast situation is through that idea of yelling in pain. All right. That's 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 a very that's the very, very basics of it all. But what happens is most people, this is their first experience with leadership. So they see that someone is being led right now by being yelled at, and then they, now they go to their units. And that's the first thing they saw, and they believe in their mind, the best way to lead my people now is through that same tactic. And that's just completely false. You know, yelling at someone in the beginning is 100% understandable because, hey, I'm trying to show a sense of urgency. I'm trying to show the idea of like, hey, we can't think about, you know, what I want to do as an individual. I need to be on board with everyone else. And that is 100% acceptable in my opinion. But what has, has to happen is, you know, I will say that, Smart military leaders understand that. They understand that, hey, I'm not in this environment anymore, and no longer do I need to yell. So I think that yelling was appropriate at some time in my military career, but it was not always the best tool to have. You know, I, I, I'm working now with contractors, and I know that someone's got a tool belt on, and sometimes the hammer is the best tool to use, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes I need to use an Allen wrench. Sometimes I need to use a screwdriver, right? So you have to have more tools than just yelling. Second is with the idea of having a team and not getting people to quit or whatever it may be. What I always did was I always went third party. I went every, I, so when I came here to Charlotte, um, I came here in the middle of the pandemic, and the Qdoba that I went to had actually closed down. So it closed down, and they asked me to be a general manager here. And I was a general manager of a store that at this time had, you know, two employees. So it was myself and one other person. So I was responsible for hiring, training, and getting everyone up to speed. So in order for me to effectively do that, I knew that I needed to, one, take care of that one person that was still there, and two, I needed to also 
go third party in the sense of every person that I hired, I told them, hey, we're a team. I'm, I'm, as long as you are part of this team, I'm going to continue to do everything I can to take care of you. But if at any point you, you're not part of this team, you're not doing things that are aligned with our team, then I have to let you go. So it's not me letting you go. It's yourself, you know, yourself selecting yourself out because of the fact that you have no commitment to this team. And that was the way I was able to navigate that. So if I had people out there, you know, um, I was pretty proud of my retention rate, but I had to let two people go and that, and they let themselves go because they, re they realized they could not take on the responsibility of taking care of that team. So it was a lot easier for me because, you know, I had no problem at all doing, you know, the lowest work, but at the same time, if someone was not taking care of the team, they knew that no one else was going to stand for that because I didn't stand for that. Interesting. So you effectively, so you never really fired anyone. You essentially just got them to fire themselves. Well, you know, they, they self-selected themselves out. If they, it was a commitment at the very beginning that we're going to be a team and we're going to align with these certain values. And if you, no, you did no longer did that, then you know that you couldn't be here. And that's just how it was because everyone accepted that as part of their hiring process. And throughout the training, it was always that as well. Hey, team, 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 team. Hey, what can I do to take, out, take care of the team? And, you know, and it's, it's a unique situation, you know, but I think also, you know, you have to be able to respect people too. Um, you know, I never, I never called 17 year olds, you know, the kids or anything like that. You know, I, I told them, Hey, you know, you are, uh, you know, you are an employee here just like I am. And so I expect this of you. And all I ask that you, is when you can't get these certain things done, you let me know as soon as possible. Um, and so that I can take care of it as well. And they saw how much hard I was willing to work, but I think the team aspect and going third party was very, very key. Yeah, because I'll see people refer to employees as like, oh, I got to babysit them, and it's just very degrading as a whole. And we talked about this on the podcast before, where if that's your mentality, I don't know anybody that would want to work for you because it sounds like you're just, I mean, it's it's a very negative environment where you're like, oh, I just can't, I can't babysit somebody. And it's like, well, why would you hire somebody that you need to babysit? Yeah, and so also think about your leadership too. If you're babysitting, what does that say about you? What does that say about what you are doing? If you know, I don't, I don't babysit anyone. I don't have kids yet. When you are taking care of someone and nurturing them and, and, and teaching them, hey, this is what I have to do. And hey, hey, right now I'm about to go leave. I got to go to the bank and run, you know, run some errands or whatever it may be. This is what I expect, expectations when I'm here. This is when I'm gone. When I come back, if things aren't done the right way, then you look at it like, hey, were you taking care of the team when you did this? Hey, when you didn't, when you called in and, and or you didn't decide to call in, you decided just to, you know, go to a party on Thursday or whatever it may be and, and didn't come to work. Like, were you taking care of the team in that aspect? And they understand like, hey, like, well, look, not only did I, did I, I didn't do this to, to Chris, I did this to our team and, and the team does not accept that. So. Interesting. So you go from Qdoba, you, you leave out of there and now, and what was it just in a nutshell, you just didn't jive with the leadership or, I mean, you don't have to like go in depth, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. I, I thought at this point I'd gotten to the, my max capacity as far as like, I legitimately built a store from the ground up having one employee during the middle of a pandemic got us back to a profitable situation. The store closed because, you know, they weren't profitable, got them back to a profitable situation, had trained my replacement. And I was just looking for more. I was looking for to, to grow more. I, I, I left that place in a very, very good standing. I was very, very happy. And I was looking for an opportunity to continue to lead in another fashion. I have aspirations to do, you know, more MBA type uh, work, go to, go to MBA school. And so I was like to myself, like, okay, well, I don't know if this is the next step for me. So I was looking for something I could be able to still lead and still take care of um, my own responsibilities, but also grow as a person. Hey guys, if you're looking to grow your business, make sure you head over to contractorgrowthnetwork.com. Learn all about everything that we can do. 
Websites right now are the hot thing. Everybody's at home. Get on it because this is the new way that people are buying today. Contractorgrowthnetwork.com. So now you're in the sales role. How does this fill that? So sales is very much leadership. I think that from the outside, it, it may not look like it right away, but it 100% is. If you are selling in an effective way and you're, and you're selling something that you truly believe in, you're leading someone to now take care of their own responsibilities. So in this world I am right now, I talk to contractors every day that their biggest, their biggest why is oftentimes their family or their extracurricular activities, or this is their baby, this is their job, this is, you know, this is their business. And so they have an issue in their business and they want to help solve it. And so I'm leading them to find out if our system is a good fit for them or if it's not. And I, I love the fact that we produce so much content and so much other stuff as well, because sometimes, you know, we do, we're really good at what we do, but that sometimes we're not the best fit for someone and we're able to lead them the right direction. So what's been the biggest challenge? Cause I mean, a lot of people listening to this, either they've done sales training or they never had, like, you know, I talk to some people every so often that they talk about how good they are at selling, which is great. However, they typically just sell past customers, which you're not really selling. You're just in essence listening and you go, okay, great. It'll cost this much and you're in. So for you, I mean, you're doing cold calling, which is like the hardest form of selling. So what have you learned in literally like you've been here for like what, three and a half weeks now? What, what is, I mean, cause, and when you are very in depth and in very intense about sales, three and a half weeks is actually like a very long time. Like you look back to where you were three and a half weeks ago versus now, what's been the big transitions? I think the big transition is finding one, your voice, because you are now talking to someone on the other side of a phone that you don't necessarily know. I feel like I'm a pretty sociable person, but at the same time, sometimes I'm pretty, I talk pretty fast. If I'm if I'm in my own you know, head or whatever, I get passionate about something, I start to speak fast. I think that's something that has served me in some ways, but I recognize in this role, it does not. I also think that talking to contractors right now, it has been eye-opening for me to learn more about their pain because I think that if you know someone's pain, you're able to really serve them and take care of them. So you're able to diagnose what's exactly going on. You know, if I'm a doctor, and I've seen this before, you know, I, hey, this is a football injury that happens all the time. I've seen this before. Hey, you know what, man? What we'd have here is actually going to work for you. If I put you in this splint, I've seen this happen a thousand times. This is going to work for you. And I think having those reps has been huge because I've se- I now see, you know, a couple pains that continue to reoccur. People are not having enough leads. People are having leads, but they're, you know, paying money for them and they're turning out to be, you know, crap leads in the end. Or, you know, third, they're sick and tired of going out and giving estimates, having a really good situation with someone. And then now, you know, they go home and write a write an estimate out. They feel really good about it and they get ghosted. And I think that if you're able to really dive in and understand people's pain, I think that people are more receptive to you. Yeah, because, well, I mean, as a cold calling game, I mean, there's like that certain level of like, oh, like, you know, you had a guy email you back yesterday saying like, oh, I hear from people like you all day long. And it's, you know, he looks at us the same as Yelp, Home Advisor, like all all the reps that, you know, with Yelp, I, like Yelp still calls me. Hey, would you like to, you know, you, you should see how many people are searching for your services in your area. And I'm like, okay, great. What services in what area? And they're like, oh, hold on, let me pull it up. And I'm like, oh, so that was a lie. So it's, it's overcoming that initially because you and I have worked on this where when you speak right now, your, your voice is deeper. It's a little slower. It's a little lower, but you were doing what we call the Mickey Mouse voice where it's hey, like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is Chris Livingston. Uh, how you doing today? I got that from my, I think my Qdoba time. Hey, 
welcome to Qdoba, you know, like just kind of being super overexcited. But I think that being genuine is huge, right? Um, part of my cold call script is very much, hey, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. This is actually a cold call. Can I have 30 seconds of your time or would you like to hang up? You know, because sometimes you're going to reach someone at the, on the wrong day. You know, the service that you have is valuable. You understand that. But you're not pushing it down in anyone's throat. What you're hoping is you're hoping that you can get 30 seconds of someone's time to kind of talk about some pains that you're dealing with and then, you know, or some pains that you help um, resolve. And if that speaks to them, then it does. And, and, and that's great. And if it does not, then I understand that too. And I think that you just can't, I'm not getting wrapped up in behind the idea of being hung up on Excuse me, because I'm, they're, hanging, they're not hanging up on me. They're hanging up on, on the opportunity. And that's fine. And that's like a big issue of what, I mean, we all deal with it where you don't want to reach out to somebody or you're nervous about a lead or this or that because you're afraid that, you know, if you get rejected, they're rejecting you personally. Like they're rejecting Logan or Chris, like who they are as a person and not the, what you're selling and not the idea. So that's like a huge squeeze point. And I know that that's what like what stops. I mean, it's, you know, working back at Indeed, like that was one thing with Indeed where they never taught us. They they taught us how to close people, but my whole job was cold outreach. So they never taught us actually how to get somebody on the phone or what to say. So I did for my whole time there. Hey, this is Logan with Indeed.com. I'm looking for whoever handles your hiring. And they're just like, uh, yeah, bro, we got it. Like, we're good. It's like, what do you mean you're good? Like, oh, no, like we don't need any help. I'm like, I see your ads online. But like because of the way that I come off, it was the same as the Yelp people and every other marketing person that calls me now. So you just kind of get lumped in the same thing. So the idea of and what we're learning now is the actual like how to do cold prospecting. It's that in essence pattern interrupt from the gate. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to be honest, this is a cold call. Yeah. Give them back some, I guess, power. I think the first thing you do is when you get a phone call. You don't know who the, who's on the other line, right? And you answer this phone. It could be money on the line for you if you're a contractor, it, you know, or it could be someone like me, or it could be your wife, or it does, you know, or your husband. And so, I think that you give them some power because you're letting them know up front, hey, this is this. I'm gonna be honest with you that this is a cold call. So can I can I take some of your time? You know, thirty seconds of your time. And if, and I think that if you say things like, can I th- can I take thirty seconds of your time? And if at the end of that thirty seconds sounds like something you don't want, you know, you can hang up. Is that fair? I think that you now put yourself on an even playing field. You're not trying to be, you're not this power figure calling someone's phone. How'd you get my name on a list kind of situation? And, the, and, and you're just taking up their time and they're not, they're not having to reciprocate with some other power move of just hanging up the phone, right? So I think that's huge. And I, I think that once you are able to put yourself in that space where you recognize that you're building relationships, that's what you're trying to do. You're try, you wouldn't call someone and try to coerce them you know, into buying something from you if you if you had a real relationship with someone, if you really felt confident about that person. So what you're doing instead is, hey man, I'm I have something that has helped a lot of other people out that I think that you may be in the same situation. Can you hear out the problems that I normally have to deal with and that help that I help resolve? Does this sound like something you experience on a you know day day basis? And if so, I would love to show you kind of exactly how we do it. Um, but if not Thank you so much for your time. I definitely appreciate everything. And, you know, it, there's still a customer service piece that's involved in cold calling that I think people forget. That was, that's the big thing is you just got to ask. I mean, a lot of like, like we're all afraid to ask because like the worst that happens is they hang up and when they hang up, how does that, I mean, does that take money out of your bank account? Does it hurt your relationship with your girlfriend? Like it doesn't, like it's, it, they just hang up and you're the same person as you were 60 seconds ago in essence, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And if you come from a good space, then you're not they're not hanging up on you, right? If you come from if you're if you're trying to be a shyster and they hang up on you, maybe you start to feel a little bit about your character and things like that. But if you're just being a genuine person, you know, saying, Hey, this is a cold call and can I have some of your time? Sometimes it's not a good time. If my, if my wife or my girlfriend was in, in labor and someone call, calls me and they have this idea that's gonna you know make me a million dollars, that's absolutely amazing. But it's not a good time, brother. It's not a good time for me to have that conversation. So, you know, and have you dealt with that one yet? Not, not the, not, well, they haven't told me at least, but, but I think that I have heard people that said, Hey, we're right right now. We're just slammed right now. And I say, okay, no problem. Can I just get an email for you? And I'll send, send over exactly what we do and you can let me know. And they would have been a lot more receptive in that way. So I, I think that it's about being genuine. And I think that when you talk to contractors, they are, they sometimes, you know, giggle under their breath because, wow, this person just told me the reality of what's going on. They're not trying to sell me on anything they're just trying to have a relationship and and that's like that's my issue at like at you know back when we used to do it where like you would call up hey this is looking from indeed.com and they're like what are you selling and i'm like oh i'm not selling anything and it's like that's bullshit like why else would i call yeah i'm selling something but the, the goal right now is not to sell something the goal right now is to just diagnose i'm diagnosing if this is an issue for you and if it is i would love to give you a remedy but if if not then you know then there's no reason at all and I think that for me, specifically for contractor, when it comes to sales, if you don't mind me pivoting a little bit, but I think that what I've seen from contractors is this fuzzy line that is kind of blurred between marketing and sales. I, I don't, I don't know if there's a real understanding in all in the entire industry, right? You know, and I'm, this is also coming from an ignorant space, but if there's a huge difference between marketing and sales in everyone's minds, because sales. A lot of people are really, really good at it, right? Like, you know, they are, they if they if they get in front of right people, their work sells themselves. You know, they their their expertise, the work, you know, the person who they are. You know, that's what I hear from everybody all the time. You know, why do people come to you? Oh, because I'm I do this and I do this. So you're really good at sales. You can sell yourself, but in order to be able to use that function of sales, you have to have some good marketing. You have to have the right people in front of you, and I think that. That's something that I'm happy to lead people to. Like, hey, like don't 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 think lesser of yourself or, or what your abilities are because you are good at selling. You are good at you are a craftsman. You are doing these great jobs. But let's get the right people in front of you so that you can do that for yourself. I've I've seen this a lot with because like Reber says this. You know, he'll post a question. Hey, what's your biggest issue with your sales right now or your sales process or whatever it is, whatever the specific question is. And people will say, I don't, I don't know about how to about how to job cost or how to market or generate leads. And it's like, that's not part. I mean, that's maybe in the big picture of things, but I think first identifying what sales really is or like what the sales process should look like, because everybody's got a process, whether it's, whether you know it or not, it's kind of like your company, like you have a culture, whether you, or values, whether you have explicitly said, this is what it is or not, you have that. So with your sales, the job costing side, I mean, that's that's a finance thing. That's like more of an operations thing. The marketing side's marketing. Sales is the actual like, you know, from the time that they reach out to be a lead or you reach out to them to get them into a lead till the time that they either buy or die, that's sales. But like they kind of muddy the water of, well, you know, I got to generate the lead as well. Well, that's marketing. Well, I don't know how to properly estimate. Well, that's that's not that's estimating. It's not sales. So it's, it's, it's a different ballgame. So a lot of people do like what you're saying. They do kind of blur the lines, not because they're doing it on purpose, but because 
they just don't know. They just think it's all wrapped in the same where it's like, there's really two functions of business growth, which is AKA sales and marketing, and then fulfillment, which is actually doing the work. And like, that's it. But in reality, you, you could, I mean, to make it easy, like I look at it all as really like four pieces. It's uh, marketing, sales, fulfillment, retention. And that's in essence how I look at it. I mean, yes, you're going to have finance aspects of it and legal and HR and stuff. But just from like an overall, like big picture, like those are the four aspects of business. And everybody, most contractors that are listening to this, they're good at the fulfillment. They're okay at the retention. And they're really bad up front. And it's crazy because without the upfront stuff, the sales and marketing, fulfillment's not there. Or you're relying, you know, it's, so it's, everybody kind of has it backwards. And it's always, it, it's always interesting whenever I talk to a contractor that they say, look, look, I don't know that much about remodeling. I own a remodeling company because I think it's a great business model. But when they come at it, they come at it from a very different approach and they're very sales and marketing heavy. So they typically do way better and they're less involved in the craft itself. If they look at it, they're like, yeah, that, that's really good. And the homeowner's like, yeah, that's really good. And like, okay, great. We're going to go while an, uh, a true artist would say, whoa, 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 let me spend another two weeks tinkering with stuff because I want to make it perfect for myself, even though I'll never then step foot in this house again. So it, it's it's odd, but a lot of people, they just sabotage themselves without even knowing it because they think they're doing the homeowner a service by like making it perfect to the contractor standards. But in fact, they're pissing the homeowner off by staying there for another few weeks just to do nothing in essence. So it's, they do have it backwards as a whole. I think that false doc- diagnosis is is very, very, uh, I don't know, not just always damaging, but also it's just also frustrating. I remember uh, jumping out of a plane in the military. Uh, one day my foot hurt and we kept thinking it was a foot problem, foot problem. And it happened like, and then I was in the gym one day, I was doing reverse lunges and the physical therapist saw me doing them and like I was just all out of whack with my hip. And so the reality was it was a hip problem that resulted in a foot problem. And I think and I think that once again, like, you know, sometimes you think that you have a problem that's, oh, it's this, it's that. No, like sometimes it's it's you need to really dive into like what the actual problem is. And if that problem may be marketing or if that problem is, you know, your systems, then that's gonna be that if you take care of that root problem, then you'll see that all the things that you are doing on the other end. Are, are pretty good systems, but you just got to take care of this one root problem as well. Yeah, it's it's so like in this higher level like marketing group that I'm in, they talk about. I think their number is they want each employee. They they it's it's like the way that the math breaks down is like each employee is worth four hundred thousand dollars, which means that you know right now if it's just like one person in the company, once you get to four hundred grand, that's when you can bring on the next person. And then once you get to 800 grand, you can run the next person. Now, granted, it's marketing it's, and they have it a little bit different and those are unbelievably aggressive. But I think a lot that's what a lot of people fall victim to is that they they don't look at those numbers. So they don't they will understand that like, oh, to grow, I need to hire more people. And it's like, you could also just raise your, your prices. Like if you literally just, and that's what we talk to a lot of contractors about where I'll ask them and I'll say like, oh, if you have a lot of leads coming in, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I guess I'll hire on a second crew. And it's like, well, could you just raise your prices? Because it's all supply and demand. Oh, I, I guess I never thought about that. Yeah, I guess I could do that. And it's like, that's like my first instinct is to like, instead of making it hard, where it's like, I have to go out, hire another crew, which for most people, it's not like you have so much work that you can effectively double right now. It's like you have to hire a crew and they're like part-time because you don't have another 40-hour work week for each one of those new four guys, we'll say. You have maybe 
40 hours total that your current crew can't handle. So instead of getting to the point where you, you just make it super hard, instead of just thinking outside the box a little bit of, well, if I just raise the prices by, let's say, 20%, we're going to do the same amount of jobs with this one crew, but I'm adding 20% extra to my bottom line, not top line, to my bottom line. So there's a lot of the different paths that you can go, but I think a lot of people just think it's that business is like this linear of like, if I get more work in the door, that means I have to provide more labor, which means I have to hire. So it freaks them out and they're like, well, I don't, I don't want more work. I can't handle more work. I think we have to think about the idea of leverage. All right, so leverage, the idea is either you can get more work done with the same amount of like input, or you can get you know the same amount of work done with less input, right? So that's what a, lever, you know, a lever does for you. And I think that you have to be able to leverage those ideas because if, if, if once again, if, you're, if your goal is revenue, if your goal is a revenue increase, well, if you use this proper lever, then you can put the same amount of work in to get more revenue. If your goal is, you know, to say, well, hey, I want the, I, the revenue is all right. I just want to, I don't want to have the, the, the system right now is not what I want to do. Okay, well, I can get the same amount of work by putting in less effort. So I think using that idea of leverage is huge and you can leverage a lot of different things, but recognizing what your actual situation is, is very important. Like to be self-aware is super important. And sometimes I know for me personally that I, like I, I rely on you oftentimes too. Like I naturally speak extremely fast, but I know that, Hey, if I, you know, if I talk to some of my friends and say, Hey, look, man, like we did a good role play on this or you did, Hey, you did a good job on this cold call, but man, I couldn't understand you. I couldn't understand the real pain. I didn't have time to understand what you were talking about because I was trying to just understand what you were saying. So being able to diagnose yourself is something that I don't know if we all can do. I think that being able to use others is important as well. Yeah. You do speak fast. And there's like certain words that like, when you go through it, like you'll slow it down. And that's like, it's so like, this is part of why I like selling because it's, the the shifts in tonality and like cadence and like I did a whole podcast that was like here's what stand up comedy like the five things from like going through this class and actually performing taught me about selling and a lot of it is you know when you hit a punchline like you're supposed to shut up because if you then hit the punchline and then keep talking you train the audience don't laugh so with selling if you say the price and then you keep talking about the price or whatever it is afterwards it trains them to not speak or to not think about anything else. But in reality, you want to give them the price and let them think like, is this what I want? Is this not what I want? Like, how am I going to make this work? And that's where we all screw ourselves because you say it's going to be 10 grand. And they go, wow, that's a lot of money. And you go, yeah, but like, you know, let me tell you eight ways that we could shave money off and actually get it down to 3000. And it's just like, they said it's a lot of money. They didn't say it's a lot of money and not doable. They just said it's a lot of money. So just stay quiet. They're going to go, man, oh, well, all right, how do you take payment? And then now you're in. But otherwise, you self-sabotage yourself, which is like, you know, people do that shit in comedy. Like, I remember watching this one dude. He was the funniest guy in class. So funny. Like, I was dying every single class. And then he got up on stage, and he was nervous. And he would, like, kind of, like, when he hit the punchline, he didn't hit it. He just, like... Skimmed over it. Yeah, it was... Yeah, he just, it's not like he like tripped and just like kind of like mumbled it. And then he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the hat was actually, you know, the hat was red. And then nobody would say something. He'd be like, all right, uh, I guess I'll move on to the next one. And it's just like, just go, just keep going. So it was, it was the confidence thing, but the cadence is big. So 
to wrap all this up, Chris, first off, I appreciate you hopping on because we did this, I guess, what, a year and a half, two years ago? But we talked about leadership when you were like in the thick of it all. Yeah, I think this was probably about two and a half years ago. Yeah. So going through it all, what's your one big takeaway? So with all this being said from, you know, getting unrightfully kicked out of everything in college to, you know, going to like the special operations community to coming out, running the Qdoba game for a bit. And then now with your Mickey Mouse voice, big takeaway. Big takeaway uh, for all that is, I think it's about consistency for me. Consistency is huge, but I think consistency is damaging in the sense of if you think about it, you know, if I knew that if I could go, if I worked out today and I was going to, you know, be buff and, and ripped tomorrow, then we would all work out today. But the reality is you don't see the value of your work tomorrow. So it's delayed, right? Um, so that with being consistent, the, the, the effects are delayed. And then the damaging part with inconsistency is the fact that also that decay is delayed. So with consistency, the effects are not immediate. And with inconsistency, the negatives are delayed. But those delays are compounded. So if you stay consistent, if you do the right things, we have to recognize that those things over and over and over and over and over again, doing the right thing over and over again is where you get to success. That's how you attribute to success. You know, it's not a it's not a one action situation, but also recognizing too that when you don't do the right thing, when you're inconsistent, what happens is that delay is not immediate. You may not feel it right away, but trust me, it's happening. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're not staying the same. Chris, thank you. Everybody, if you want to go learn more about this or you want to schedule a call with Chris and have him try to cold call you, head to contractorgrowthnetwork.com. Thanks, guys.